From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Berry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where we bring you top stories out of our radio newsrooms across the country. On Deadline this week are strikes. Specifically, thousands of workers going on strike, or standing on the precipice of it, from delivery drivers to baristas, Hollywood stars to auto workers. If you drop by any bar or public park, even a family dinner table in Michigan and across the Midwest right now, you would undoubtedly hear something about the hottest topic around. That's the United Auto Workers Union and whether it will strike. Last week, members of the UAW overwhelmingly voted in favor of authorizing a strike if new contracts with the big three can't be met. The deadline is September 14th. The Anderson Economic Group estimates that a work stoppage by the nearly 150,000 UAW workers at GM, Ford, and Stellantis would cost more than $5 billion in just 10 days in total wage and manufacturer losses. So that's big news at any time. But this comes as Hollywood is also on strike. The possibility of Starbucks strikes loom too, as does one for American Airlines flight attendants. And a UPS strike was just narrowly avoided. Not to mention the teachers and bus drivers in school districts big and small striking or threatening to do it. Bureau of Labor Statistics data show the number of workers who went on strike increased by nearly 50% in 2022 over 2021. So why does 2023 seem like the summer of the strike? Harry Holzer, a professor at Georgetown University, said, quote, The pandemic left workers feeling that they didn't necessarily want to take the usual guff. He also noted that a strong economy leaves many workers confident enough to show off their muscle. And an influx of Gen Z workers is bringing more energy to the workforce. Income disparities between CEOs and workers are being laid bare. And while union membership has steadily declined in the United States, support for unions is at the highest it's been in decades, 70%. Jeff Gilbert, Odyssey's auto reporter, weighed in with Brian Fisher on the possibility of a United Auto Workers strike. Now, here is what's making it different this year. Sean Fain is a new kind of UAW president. He was directly elected by the members, and in addition to running as a reformer, he ran as somebody who was going to take a hard line with the companies and do things differently. As the talks go on, he's kind of getting workers ready in case there is a strike. He is certainly an advocate for the UAW's proposals. He's released the overall proposals in there. And this is all stuff that, that is normally done in secret. You know, I can't remember them having rehearsal strike pickets before as they've done. I certainly don't remember several weeks before the deadline, a union president throwing a proposal in the trash. Now, what's interesting is he's not telling anybody what the strategy is going to be at the last minute, and he's also not telling anybody what the union will actually accept. He's only talking about what they want. That was WWJ's Auto Beat reporter Jeff Gilbert on new UAW president Sean Fain. Jeff talks about how President Fain has made clear to the automakers what he wants. What are those things, and what do automakers wish in return? Daniel Clark, a professor of history at Oakland University, explains. You know, the last 20, 25 years, even a little longer than that, with the era of givebacks, of concession bargaining, um, you know, some forced by the intense competition that domestic automakers have experienced with foreign transplants, foreign manufacturers, and then with uh, events like the Great Recession, 
and even COVID. I think that auto workers have been bargaining in a context of scarcity, trying to keep you know the auto industry alive you know for their own benefit and now are looking more towards um reversing that trend and and regaining some of what they gave away especially in this era of high profitability for the automakers from the automaker standpoint um, this is a huge transition into the era of electric vehicles and no one knows what the market will be no one knows what the investments will have to be and and so there's great uncertainty uh, from that end Auto workers had to concede quite a bit during the recession and bankruptcies of the late 2000s. One of those concessions was the adoption of the two-tier wage system. That is something that President Sean Fain and the UAW are fighting to get rid of in the current negotiations. But what is a two-tier wage system? But um, one of the concessions was that new hires would be paid significantly less per hour than those who were hired before them. So you would have people doing jobs side by side, the same work, but earning vastly different incomes. And so that was a huge uh, concession. And uh, it was very difficult for the people who were hired in on the lower tier, the new hires, to achieve what had been the promise, the, the, the reason really for getting an auto job, to have some kind of comfortable living, maybe not lavish, but a comfortable living, that flies in the face of um, longstanding union policy, which you know, is equal work for equal pay and trying to raise up the level of all, not just um, those who have been around a while longer. And it can create tensions on the floor as well when some people are making a whole lot more money than, than others. With negotiations between the big three and the UAW having largely not budged, how big is the risk to a strike roughly two weeks out from the deadline? I think we have high risk of a strike right now because of the positioning of the UAW and their president uh, in these negotiations. So he has basically painted himself into a corner that he's got to get something more for UAW workers with these negotiations. It seems unlikely that uh, automakers are going to concede and give him everything that he's asking for. The UAW proposal would add $80 billion in labor costs over the next four years with you know 46% wage increase restoration of pensions, cost of living, increasing retired benefits, reducing work hours, all of these things would add a lot of cost. So when you look at the cost for the automakers in a strike, they certainly don't want to give in at these you know, high rates. UAW is painted into a corner. Um, I say there's a high probability that we're going to have a strike. That was Kevin Kettles, a professor of teaching of global supply chain management at Wayne State University. And he explains that President Fain's aggressive style has painted the UAW into a corner, making the risk of strike high. But what would a strike look like? Mike Martinez, a reporter for the Automotive News, says a strike could take several forms. Mike also adds that while striking is a powerful tool, it really isn't something that either party wants. Well, bottom line, a strike would not be good for anyone involved, including the auto workers. That's one thing you have to keep in mind here. I don't think they necessarily want to strike because when they're out on that picket line, all they're getting is 500 bucks a week of strike pay. And that doesn't start until day eight of the strike. So that first week, they're not even making anything. But the strike is the most powerful tool they have. It's a self-inflicted wound, but it's supposed to help show the company that they mean business and they will not work until they get what they feel is a fair deal. Come September 14th, you may see picket lines form around Metro Detroit as both the UAW and the Big Three fight for their needs. But negotiating isn't done yet. In fact, it's just beginning. 
much everyone understands the power of the automobile industry. On the other hand, Hollywood might seem like another world to most of America. An exotic place of make-believe, Rodeo Drive, Maseratis, and billion-dollar movie studios. But it turns out the impact of the strikes there are far-reaching. As the strikes drag on past Labor Day, a deadline many thought would never be surpassed, its effects are growing. And not just because streaming shows and movies could be dwindling in the future. If the strike lasts until October, Todd Holmes, a professor at Cal State Northridge, estimates the economic cost will hit four to five billion dollars. The industry says it employs more than 1.7 million people outside of California. From stuntmen in Michigan to caterers in Wyoming, they earn $158 billion a year in wages. Tom Noonan, a writer, producer, and founder of the independent studio Bullseye Entertainment, told Charles Feldman about the economic impact of the ongoing Hollywood strikes. So how are you holding up? Well, I'm doing okay. Uh, my uh, colleagues and friends uh, are having a range of different reactions. Uh, some are having to pull their kids out of school, uh, their colleges. Some are looking to sell their homes. It's pretty grim. Is it better or worse in terms of where the last time we talked was, I think a few weeks ago, where you thought it would be now? I mean, everybody was being realistic a while back and thinking that it was going to take a while to get things resolved. Do you think it's taking longer than you thought it would, or is it about kind of right in terms of where these things tend to sit? I was on the more optimistic tip of this. I really thought that we were going to be reaching a resolution by Labor Day. And I was on the record about that. There were reasons behind that. I, I think that the studios and the and the streamers would have gotten the sort of savings that a work stoppage like this offers them. And that's something that Wall Street wanted. They wanted big savings coming out of these giant entertainment companies. So for a while, the, the strike actually worked in their favor. But now I don't really see where it's headed. I don't see what their end game is. It's one thing to take the whole summer off. Right now, it's not clear what they want or how long this thing is going to go on. What about your own situation? You were talking just before about people you know. What about you? Well, I'm okay. I mean, uh, I teach, I coach people. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've done okay in my life, you know, as far as uh, financial things are concerned. You know, I'm 60 years old. It's, it's, not, like, uh, it's not like I haven't been through this before. And anyone interested in the entertainment industry knows that it's a very volatile, very uncertain business. It's not for the faint of heart. Do you now have a sense of where you think this is going to end and what would end it? I guess that's really the question. I mean, all labor disputes end in, in a negotiated compromise. Uh, what is the compromise? That's the thing that's so perplexing. It's really unclear what the end game here is for the studios and streamers. They're taking a very hard line on fundamental issues facing artists uh, going forward. They're not signaling whatsoever um, flexibility in addressing those issues about transparency and residuals, about artificial intelligence. There's, It's a real standoff, and I, I, I'm unclear about what they're hoping to gain from this, because eventually we're all going to have to come back together and start working together again. So it's, it's, uh, it's very uncertain right now. 
One of those places outside of California that's being affected by the Hollywood strikes is on the East Coast, New York City. And the strike is hitting home there in an unexpected place, vintage clothing shops. It turns out those shops provide costumes to actors on popular movie and TV sets, and the strike is costing them dearly. Odyssey in New York learned more about that. 36,000 SAG members here in New York have walked out. So how is that affecting local businesses here in the city? Joining us, Helen Uffner, who owns a vintage clothing collection in Long Island City, Queens. Helen, good to have you here. Tell us, first of all, how your business serves TV and movie productions. Sure. Well, we have authentic clothing from 1860s all the way up to 1980s. And when we do uh, period productions, we often rent to movie theater commercials and um, in television shows. Okay, so what's been going on now since the strike? Absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, I'm home at the moment, and I have all my um, my phone calls to my business call transferred to my home, and the phone hasn't been ringing at all. Have you so been... It's pretty much a dead industry at the moment. Yeah, it sure sounds that way. Um, is there... There's no other way of utilizing your inventory? Can you sell it? Can you do anything else with it? No, not really. I mean, it is a rental collection. Everything is ID'd, so I want to keep it in order and separate from anything else that I might sell, you know, which would be personal items just to make some money. We still do theater, but unfortunately, just all the summer stock is over that we've done, so there's really nothing coming around. Right. So you're closing then indefinitely. Is is this the first time you've had to do this since the pandemic? Yes, it's the first time since the pandemic. And as a matter of fact, there are other companies in California and down south, and they've already announced that they're closing indefinitely. Also, we are open by appointment. If somebody wants to see us, they just need to call us in advance and we'll go there and open. But it just seemed like there was no sense in going and sitting there and doing nothing when there weren't any clients. And usually at this time, the phone rings off the hook, so it's very strange. Yeah. So now you have this, um, I've read, a 5,000-square-foot shop in Long Island City. What do you do? Do you, do you keep on renting it? Uh, where Where do you go from here? I honestly don't know. I mean, until the strike is over, there's not much we can do unless, you know, we start renting to private um, parties or private events and, and go a different route than we've normally gone. Usually it was only productions. So we haven't really uh, rented privately at all, but I don't know what we can do. And it's not only my company, it's everybody that's, you know, peripherally associated with the costume industry, which is costume designers and assistants and wardrobe supervisors. Everybody's out of work. Right. And what are you folks hearing about the strike? Are you anticipating a, a long, long haul here? Well, from what I hear, the production companies really don't care that much and they do anticipate just holding out. And, and and not coming to some agreements in the in the near future. So th that's really it's really a shame because it's also affecting viewers and it's affecting um, you know people that are interested in going to movies and, and watching television shows because you can't watch unscripted television reality shows for the rest of your life. <laughs> can a strike really last? Labor Notes, an organization that calls itself the voice of union activists, 
says strong strikes that benefit workers require clear goals, constant two-way communication about bargaining, and a culture of defiance, but also of mutual care. The longest strike the nation has ever seen was the Kohler strike, which lasted 11 years from 1954 to 1965. Kohler is one of the biggest manufacturers of plumbing fixtures in the U.S. That strike tore the city of Sheboygan, Wisconsin apart and became so contentious that gas masks were a common sight on the picket lines. After nearly a dozen years, it was finally settled. The new Kohler management that came in paid wages that the strikers had been demanding and put more money in their pension funds. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. I'm Lauren Barry, and I want to say thanks for listening to On Deadline, Odyssey's serving of a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcast to stay informed. <laughs>